Good morning. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you turn there, we are officially seven days into 2024. I want to ask how your resolutions are going so far. Good? Hopefully good. I know a lot of people like to uh, make fun of, hate on New Year's resolutions. Uh, that's not me. One fun fact about me is I am a big um, fan of New Year's resolutions. Uh, sure, there have been many I have made, and they've completely fallen flat on their face. I get that. That's part of, the, that's part of how it goes. But I've also made some that I've completed, that have, that have changed my life, that have really helped. And so, big fan of New Year's resolutions. I don't think there's anything wrong with setting goals, setting high goals, and trying great things, and trying to do great things for God, and all those things like, uh, you know, Grant's sermon, which Grant did a great job last week, um, talking about memorizing Romans 12. That's, that'd be a great New Year's resolution to set for yourself. That's a, a good thing to do. For the next four weeks, I'm, I'm, we're going to take a break from our series in Mark to do a series that I'm calling Resolved where we are going to talk about four areas where we are resolved to grow as a church. And, and the four things we're going to talk about are our four values that are coming out of refocus, if you know what that is, which are truth, worship, community, and mission. What is a value? We're talking about church values, organizational values. What is that? A value um, is the foundational beliefs that God, what we believe, and how we behave. Uh, they're, they're what we're most passionate about as a church. They answer the question, why do we do what we do? And so today we're going to look at our first value, truth. And the main point of today's sermon is that we are resolved to be a church that values truth because the scripture is our standard and solution. So we're going to talk about today. Resolve to value truth because the scripture is our standard and solution. So what we're going to do, here's our game plan. We're going to examine 2 Timothy 3, two verses, verses 16 through 17. We're going to walk through that passage and then make two applications, being the scripture is our standard and the scripture is our solution. Let's read God's word for us. Yeah. Starting in verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word for us this morning. Let's go to God, ask for his blessing upon it. God, we thank you for breathing out these two verses. It's your words, inspired by you, completely true, worthy to stake our lives in eternity on. Holy Spirit, will you... Um, enable your people to hear and understand and apply your word. And God, I pray you mold and shape and build this church to be built upon truth. In your name, Jesus. Amen. In this passage, we have an older pastor named Paul mentoring a younger pastor named Timothy. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he starts to describe false teachers, this culture in which Timothy is doing ministry, and he says and describes how things are just going to continue to get worse. People are going to hate the truth and reject the truth, but Paul wants Timothy to be different than the culture. Look what he says in verse 14, where he says, But as for you, in contrast to the culture... 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how, verse 15, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul wants the young pastor Timothy to be radically committed to the truth in a culture filled with lies. That's exactly what I'm resolved to do as your pastor. And that's what we are going to be resolved to be as a church extremely passionate and committed about truth. We're in a culture that looks like verses 2 through 7. It says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Does that sound familiar? That seems like the culture that we live in. And Paul is saying, you're going to be different, Timothy. Church, you need to be different. We need to be a church that values truth above all else. You may be thinking, however, whose truth? Right? What truth? Who gets to define this truth? What is our source of truth? Perhaps it's the latest scientific opinion. Perhaps it's what we hear about on Fox News, maybe it's our own deeply held convictions that are our standard for truth. But Timothy might have wondered the same thing, and that's why Paul wrote these two verses, because Paul clearly teaches Timothy in these two verses where truth is to be found, and through that, Paul teaches us as well. So first, I want us to focus on this phrase, all Scripture is breathed out by God, right there. This phrase that the ESV translate breathed out by God is one word in the Greek, theonoustos, which is actually a word that Paul made up himself. This was not a word before 2 Timothy. He makes this word up seemingly. And he had to make a word up to describe what Scripture was. And what he does is he takes the word for God and takes the word for breathe and just smashes them together to make a new word, God-breathed. Theonoustos. What does that word mean? Theonoustos. God breathed. If you take your hand, even right now, I don't want you guys talking on, honestly, but if, if, you, if you want to, you could, and, and you start talking right now, as I'm talking with my hand in front of my mouth, I can feel my breath. Literally, at this very moment, I am breathing out words. I'm not going to do this whole sermon. So what Paul is asserting here in this phrase, all Scripture is God-breathed. Three words in the Greek, by the way, all Scripture and this God-breathed, theonoustos. What he's asserting is that Scripture finds its source from God Himself. Isn't that incredible? When you, maybe even this week, as you start our Bible reading plan, as you still have an opportunity to start a Bible reading plan, when you wake up in the morning, open your Bible, start reading, it's like you're putting your hand in front of God's face and feeling His breath. These words come from God. That's what Paul's asserting. This is the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, if you 
if you have the NIV, I believe it might say all Scripture is inspired by God. That's that same word, inspired. It's, it's breathed out. When, when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture or, or Scripture being inspired, it doesn't mean like, you know, how my wife Chelsea might inspire me to write a love song. Okay, that's not what it means exactly. Instead, it means that Scripture finds its source from God. It's breathed out by Him. The inspiration of Scripture is saying that God is the source God is the author. God is the speaker of the Bible. And the inspiration of Scripture has enormous implications for the truthfulness of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture. As Titus 1-2 says, it says, God who never lies. As Hebrews 6-18 says, which it is impossible for God to lie. John 16-13 Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. John 14, 6, a well-known verse, Jesus says, I am the truth. So we see this picture in Bible. Our doctrine of God um, asserts to us this morning that God cannot lie, that it's impossible for God to lie, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, that Jesus Christ is the truth Himself. Therefore, if Scripture is the very breath of God, it must be true because God cannot lie. Therefore, the inspiration of the Scriptures proves the inerrancy of the Scriptures. Our source of truth, the highest authority we possess, is the Scripture. Because it is the very Word of God. It is the breath of God, breathed out by Him. And to say that we are going to be a church that values truth means that we are going to be a church that values the Bible. And notice what Paul claims is inspired by God. You see this? All Scripture is breathed out by God. What does Paul mean by that? All Scripture. Let me be up front and say what might be obvious to you guys. As I say all Scripture, it might be obvious. That I believe what Paul means by that statement is that the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by God. All 66 books of the Bible find its source from God and therefore is all completely true without any mixture of error. But you may be thinking, if you are from a slightly skeptical standpoint this morning, the Bible didn't exist when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is one of the later writings of Paul, but the whole Bible had not been written yet, let alone put together into a collection of books, right? Let's just be honest about that. That's, that, that's true. So many will say, they'll, they'll, they'll grab this verse and say that Paul is speaking about the Old Testament. Um, and then say, hey, and then it's also true of the New Testament. That, that's typically what people say. But let's think about this for a second. I think there's reason to believe that Paul had something more in mind than just the Old Testament. First, uh, we see that Paul had a concept of Scripture being written in his own day. Look at 1 Timothy 5.18. This is really interesting to me. Um, in, in 1 Timothy 5.18, uh, he says, yeah, turn there if you will. I like, I like hearing the, we're so close, right? You're like, oh, 1 Timothy, I can get there real quick. That's not too hard of a Bible drill. It says, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages, okay? So he says, Scripture says, and then makes two scriptural quotations. First quotation is Deuteronomy 25.4. It's easy, you can find that in your footnote. 
But if you are currently in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and you have a red letter Bible, specifically in the ESV or the CSB, um, which I don't love the red letters, by the way. I love the content of the red letters. I don't like that they're red. Um, um, for two reasons. Number one, it, you know, they weren't originally red or anything like that. We had those in. And, and number two, because I believe all Scripture, as I'm arguing here, is the Word of Christ. So I don't think there's a distinction between like the red letters being more authoritative or, or more inspired. That's why I'm, my, my Bible's just all black letters. Anyway, but if you do have a red letter Bible, it's kind of helpful here. Because you'll see the second quotation, the laborer deserves his wages, is in red. If you have that ESV red letter Bible or the CSB red letter Bible. Why? Because there's only one exact match of that quotation in all of Scripture, and it's Luke 10, verse 7. Which seems like Paul is quoting the Gospel of Luke and claiming that it's Scripture. He's considering them God-breathed. Paul's attitude towards his own writings also show that he views them as Scripture. Throughout his letters, you can see Paul insists that his letters are read, exchanged, obeyed. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, he refers to his own words as words taught by the Spirit. In other words, Paul was considering his own letters to be God-breathed. And then finally, look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.15-16, talking about the writings of Paul, where he says, "...and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him." as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So he's talking about Paul's writings. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Amen, right? Yeah, Peter, Peter understands that. Um, he's right there with us. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. See that? So when Peter's talking about the writings of Paul, he's like, okay, uh, they're hard to understand. I'll grant that. But... That people twist them just like they do other scriptures, implying that Paul's writing is scripture. Okay, so therefore, you might not have needed that. That might have meant nothing to you if you just want or is ready to accept that in this three word phrase, all scripture, God breathed, Paul is asserting that the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, we can talk more about the process of the canon later if you want to, has God as its author. The Bible is the perfect treasure of divine instruction and is totally trustworthy. In other words, the Scripture is our source of truth. And since Scripture is true, it is therefore profitable. Notice it doesn't just say all Scripture is breathed out by God. It says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. This word profitable means useful or beneficial or advantageous. Which almost, almost, almost seems like it's underselling it a bit, right? It, scripture can be useful. I mean, stop and consider with me the doctrine of the inspiration of the Scriptures. That what we hold in our hands is the very Word of God who is the Creator of the universe. The God of all wisdom and truth and knowledge. And consider that when we open this book up and read it, we feel God's breath. We, we know God's will. We hear God's voice. And Paul says this is profitable. And how could it not be profitable if the inspiration of the Scriptures is true? God breathed this out. If the creator of the universe breathed this out, how could this not be profitable? 
So the question I want you to ask is, do you believe the Scriptures are profitable? And do your actions day by day back up that supposed belief? What do your habits say about how profitable you think the Bible is? At our small group Christmas party a couple weeks ago, uh, there was this discussion about vitamins. And, uh, you know, somebody was uh, talking about their vitamin routine, and I was asking about it. And, and could you imagine if I came up here and said, hey, I found a, a, an extremely profitable vitamin for you to take and if you would just wake up and take b12 i'm not saying this by the way okay don't this is not this is not medical advice from pastor matt don't go buy b12 but if i went if you take b12 every morning you will not catch the flu you will not catch covid you will not get a cold you would think in that moment oh this is extremely profitable would you not and you would go get that b12 you'd be taking it every morning without fail. But God's Word, my friends, is way more profitable than any vitamin. Consider the words we read earlier. We read this in our Bible reading plan as well. Psalm 19, 7-11. The law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. My friends, do you need your soul to be revived this morning? Do you need wisdom for your life? Do you need your heart to be rejoiced? Do you need your eyes to be enlightened? It's found in God's Word. Do you see how profitable God's Word is? Brothers and sisters, this is a Promise to claim in 2024 that investing in hearing and reading and meditating and memorizing on the Scriptures will always pay off. It's infinitely worth your time and effort and energy. Trust me, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. You wake up, you're groggy. Your eyes skim the words. You don't know what you read. You, you try to memorize. You forget. You, your mind gets distracted. It's all true. It's all difficult, but it's worth it because the Scriptures are profitable. And which Scriptures are profitable? All Scripture is profitable. Listen, I know we love the Psalms, we love the Gospels, we love the letters of Paul, right? And then we struggle with the genealogies and the prophets and the descriptions of the temple. I get it. But this church isn't going to be a church that skips those parts. We are going to highly value truth and believe that all Scripture is profitable because God says that it's profitable. Of course, let's just recognize that all Scripture is not equally inspiring. Okay? You, that, that's okay. I, I get it. It's not all equally inspiring. But it is all equally inspired. It's all from God and it's all profitable. So push on. Work hard believing God's Word over your own boredom. Let's read the Scriptures this year. Now let's ask, how is Scripture profitable? He lists 
four ways in verse 16. I don't think these are the only way Scripture is profitable, but these four particularly apply to Timothy as a pastor. And what are they? Look at the text. It says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I want to break down um, these four. Number one is teaching. Teaching is the positive presentation of truth. Specifically, it seems like in context when it comes to doctrine. So teaching is saying, here is the truth. As an example, today we've used Scripture to teach the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. That is a positive presentation of truth or teaching. Reproof, next word, is the expression of strong disapproval. Now this is a little countercultural here. But God's Word isn't just useful and profitable for encouragement. It's also useful and profitable for discouragement. There are some things in our hearts and lives and minds that need to be discouraged. Amen? And this word seems to have the sense of refuting error, specifically false doctrine. So as an example, this would look like a pastor condemning a popular idea in the culture that stood in contradiction to the teaching of Scripture, and he would stand up and say, don't believe this. And that would be reproof. The next word, correction, means the action of improvement. In other words, correction is not just don't do that, but correction is do this instead. So think about last week in Grant's sermon as he was preaching through Romans 12, 1 through 2. Um, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but, and here's the correction, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a good example of correction where it says don't do this, but do this instead. And finally, there's training, which is similar to correction, means to provide guidance. It's a very practical word that's often used when it comes to bringing up children. Um, like Ephesians 6, 4, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. There's that same word for training. Instruction of the Lord. This word means that the Scriptures are profitable to mold us and to disciple us and to guide us and to raise us up like children into righteousness. As an example, we had our first uh, Beach Grove basketball practice um, this past Monday, and I had my first and second grade team, and there was a lot of attempted training, right? Attempted training. Uh, you know, how to pass, how to shoot, how to play defense. All these things were new concepts, I believe, to my team. But in the same way, the Bible trains us how to live in righteousness. The Bible teaches us, hey, here's how you love, and here's how you serve, and here's how you pray, and here's how you suffer, along with so many other different things. But what's the result of the profitability of God's Word in our lives? Look at verse 17. That, so there's the purpose statement, that. So all Scripture is breathed out and profitable for those things, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. So remember, 2 Timothy is like a seminary class for Timothy from Paul. And Paul is claiming that the Scriptures are everything that Timothy needs for his ministry. Paul is saying that if you know the truth and live by the truth and teach the truth, you won't be lacking a thing. Know, live, teach, you're good, the truth. In other words, the Scriptures are sufficient for the work of ministry. But, this doesn't just apply to me in this room. This applies to every Christian. This applies to you and your life. Why did God give us the Scriptures? 
first in this text, it says that we may be complete. This word complete means to be capable or proficient or able to meet all demands. It's kind of like um, some of the men in this church where it doesn't matter what kind of problem you're having in your home. You could have a problem with your roof. He can fix it. You can have a problem with your HVAC system. He can fix it. You can have a problem with your chimney. He can fix it. It doesn't matter. I'm not that kind of man, by the way. Don't call me if you have a problem with your HVAC. But these would be a complete man able to meet all the demands that come their way. And as we saw last week in Romans 12, 1 through 2, God's Word transforms us. That's how we're transformed, is by the renewal of our minds. Combine that with today's passage, and we learn that when we are transformed by God's Word, we gain the ability to live the life that God is calling us to live so that we are able to meet all the demands that life throws at us. Another way to say this is in that next phrase, which kind of further explains what it means to be complete equipped for every good work. You see how that kind of that translates, that defines what complete means, equipped for every good work. So first, God's Word equips us for every good work by defining what good work is. Through God's Word, we have a clear picture of what success looks like, what righteousness looks like. That's the, um, the third use of the law, if you remember. It, it teaches Christians how to please God. But then also, God's Word, through its instruction and reproof and correction and training, gives us everything we could possibly need to carry out every good work. In other words, the Scriptures aren't just sufficient for the work of ministry. The Scriptures are sufficient for the Christian life. This book contains everything you need to know about God and everything you need to know to glorify God with your life. You don't need some sort of extra spiritual experience. You don't need the newest idea. You need the truth of God found in the Scriptures. So to sum up these two verses, all Scripture is from God. Thus, all Scripture is true. Thus, all Scripture is profitable thus all scripture is sufficient and that is why as a church we have to put an extremely high value on truth because we have the truth and hey the truth works truth must be our highest value in a world of lies and that's why we have resolved to have the scriptures be our standard and solution so i'll make these two applications the scripture is our standard, and the Scripture is our solution. What do I mean by that? Number one, the Scripture is our standard. In two ways. Number one, the Scripture is the standard for our thoughts. The Scripture is the standard for our thoughts. In the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is our statement of faith, in Article 1, it says the Scriptures are the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. It's a good statement right there. What that means is that every single sermon you hear, everything that you read on the internet, every single opinion in your own mind, everything that you say or hear said in your small group, the question that we must ask above every other question is, what does the Bible say? If we are going to be a church that values truth, 
If we are going to be a church where the Scripture is our standard, we have got to be a church of the book. We have got to be a church with open Bibles. We've got to be a church like the Bereans in Acts 17.11 where it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And do you see how the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture that's described in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, perfectly shows us why the Scripture should be the standard of our thoughts. Since all Scripture is inspired from the Creator, how could we ever value the opinion from something created over the opinion of the Creator? The inspiration of Scripture reveals that Scripture must be our highest authority. In other words, we don't come to God's Word judging it. God's Word judges us. God's Word is the standard. God's Word is the highest authority. God's Word is the standard. And since we also know that all Scripture is profitable and effective to make us complete and equipped, we can know that Scripture is the perfect tool we need to come to the right conclusions. We have got to become a church where the Scripture is the standard for our thoughts. We're not going to be a church that asks, what sounds right to me? Or what is currently popular? Or even, what have we always believed? No, we must be a church that asks, what saith the Lord? What does Scripture say? Today, the Scripture is also the standard for our actions. And I mean this in two ways individually and corporately. Sorry, I know that's like sub-point three or four, I don't know. Corporately, I mean the Scripture is the standard for our actions as a church. When it comes to what we include in our services, what our bylaws say, what programs we create, how decisions are made, our standard as a church cannot be what simply works, what has always been done, or what another church does. Our standard as a church must be, above all else, the Scriptures. The most important question that we need to ask as a church when it comes to considering our actions is, what does the Bible say to do? Now, individually, I mean... Every single member of Beech Grove needs to the best of their ability by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit live and act and talk and feel the way the Bible tells us to. The Scripture is our standard for how we act as individuals. Just one example. You can take every single command in Scripture and apply it here, right? The Bible's our standard. It teaches us how to live as Christians. One example is Ephesians 4.25 that says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Please listen to me here. If we are going to be a church that values truth, I don't just mean biblically and theologically. I don't just mean being able to affirm right doctrine, right, and being able to make a, a firm stand on orthodoxy. That obviously includes that I'm passionate about that. But we, if we're going to be a truthful church, we need to be a church that tells the truth to one another in our everyday relationships. That means that we can't be a church that lies to one another, telling half-truths, being sneaky with our speech, saying one thing publicly and another thing privately. We can't be a church that um, shares slanderous rumors or is full of gossip. 
No, instead, let's be a church that's radically committed to telling the truth to one another, even when it's difficult. As the Lord himself said, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you see what I'm saying here? The scripture, if we're going to believe that it's God-breathed, it has to be our standard in the way we think, the way we act as a church, the way we act as individuals. It has to be our standard in every single area because it's our highest authority as the breathed-out Word of God, completely true and totally trustworthy. Scripture also has to be our solution. What does it mean for Scripture to be our solution as a church? My father-in-law absolutely loves Costco. And any problem you could ever possibly have, any purchase you could ever possibly need to make, my father-in-law will always say the same thing. You can get that at Costco. I don't care if it's a mattress or a car battery, prescription glasses, or chicken wings. You can go to Costco. His solution to almost any problem, you can go to Costco and get that. And I want us to become that kind of church. But instead of Costco being our solution, our solution is the Scripture. I want us, in effect, to become a one-trick pony where all we do as a church is unleash God's Word to do the work God promised His Word would do. Over and over, go back to the Scriptures. Scripture says this. Oh, you have that problem? Let's look at what Scripture says. Oh, you're dealing with this? Let's look at what Scripture says. To be a one-trick pony where constantly we are going back to the book. As it says in Isaiah 55, 10-11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, we see that God's Word makes God's people complete and equipped. And in Isaiah 55, we see that God's Word always works. Therefore, combine those two promises and you see why God's Scriptures are our solution. God has promised that the Word will work in growing and multiplying disciples. Therefore, the Scripture is our standard... I mean, sorry, the Scripture is our solution for our discipleship. Look, we so desperately, I hope you feel it in your heart, we so desperately want to be a church that grows disciples. And I want each one of you that are a member here to grow year after year after year with the Lord until you are with Him face to face and your faith becomes sight. That's our goal here. And how are we to do that? How are we to grow Christians? How are we to grow believers? The Scripture is our solution. That's our big strategy here at Beach Grove is more Bible. To go deeper and deeper into the truth. And I hope you see that in our actions. That's why we do the Bible reading plan. That's why we are trying to memorize Scripture together. That's why we read large portions of Scripture in our worship services. That's why we preach expository sermons. That's why we have small groups and BG Kids and BG Students, BGU. Uh, One of my old professors, Donald Whitney, says, No factor is more influential in making us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. The Scripture is our solution for discipleship. Get in this Word. It's profitable. It can 
make the man of God, the woman of God, complete and equipped for every good work. The Scripture is able to do that. It won't return void. But also the Scripture is our solution for evangelism. What do I mean by that? We look at an increasingly dark world full of lies and brokenness. And what is our solution as a church? The truth. The Word of God. The Scripture is our solution. So in all of our efforts of outreach, in all of our attempts to reach people, our main mission is to get the truth out there. I'm not saying we only preach and nothing else. But everything we do should serve the main purpose of proclaiming the truth to a lost and dying world. We are to believe the promise, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see that God's Word is living and active. It's sharp. It's effective. And the reason why proclaiming the truth is our primary purpose is because the Word of God gives the only solution to the world's primary problem which is the fact that our sin alienates us from a holy God and that forgiveness of sins can be found in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else can solve our sin problem, our biggest problem, except the truth contained in the 66 books of the Bible. This is truly the world's only hope. And in our mission to make disciples who glorify and enjoy Jesus, our only hope is found in the idea of Romans 1.16 that says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel, God's word, is the power of God. And therefore, it's the solution that we offer to a lost and dying world full of lies and error and deceit. So what have we learned today? Scripture is the word of God. Scripture is profitable and effective. Scripture is living and active. Scripture is our highest authority in every single area of life. Scripture is powerful and able to save and never returns empty. Scripture is our perfect source of truth. And if we are going to be a church that values truth, we must continue growing into a church where the Scripture is our standard and solution. And we must individually continue growing into being people who love the truth, who daily spend significant time in God's Word, and who are committed to the Scripture being your standard and your solution. And by God's grace, we are going to be that kind of people. By God's grace, we're going to be that kind of church. And by God's grace alone, let's ask for His help in it. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your truth. And God, I pray that you will shape us and and guide us and direct us into being a church that values truth, that values your inspired, inerrant, sufficient, effective word. God, I pray that you can change us however you need to change us to be obedient to the Scriptures. God, help us just be ever reforming to be more just to continually go back to the book and, and, and test ourselves, test our hearts, test our actions, test our words. God, so that we can be biblical. Holy Spirit, will you allow us to be a church that values truth? God, I thank you for the word. I thank you for so clearly speaking to us. God, work on our hearts even now.
In your name, Jesus.